This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 10th of September 2021. And yesterday, Norman, people in New South Wales got the news that a lot of people have been hanging out for a bit of a, a roadmap. We love a roadmap. A bit of a, a an idea of what the transition out of lockdown will look like. And it basically comes down to special considerations for people who have been vaccinated. So freedoms for the vaccinated people around gatherings with others and being able to go out to venues and going back to school and that sort of thing. Really exciting, although um, perhaps it's a risk. It's a risk because they're looking at starting to lift these restrictions when people reach the 70% over 16 vaccinated mark, which is still a pretty low threshold. Yeah, the sort of things that they're recommending are the things that you think about at 80% or even 85% with this highly contagious virus. And they're doing it at 70%, albeit for people who are fully vaccinated. Look, it is a risk. So the the outdoor situations are probably not a huge worry. Um, Schools can be uh, reopened, but you know, there's no mention here of ventilation audits, for example, for schools to minimise the risk. And schools can be a transmission locale. And you've got major facilities opening up to reasonably large numbers of people. Look, the bottom line, we could go through them all in detail, but the bottom line here is that when you open up like this at 70%, first of all, half the population, the total population, is not covered. And half of those who are vaccinated can be infected. So you can have a lot of virus circulating. Why are half of those who are vaccinated, why can they be infected? Because the vaccine only protects, gives you 50% reduction in risk of being infected. Right, even though it's got that high protection against severe disease. That's right. And 70% of over 16-year-olds is about 56% of the population. So you've got a lot of people out there in the community who can transmit the infection. So the minute you lift the lift restrictions, you could have the virus running fast, even though um, you're only in theory opening up to people who are fully vaccinated. It depends on the integrity of the vaccine passport, how easy it is to be forged. Also policing this. Who's going to police this? And if you imagine yourself to be the cops, as soon as this starts to open up, unvaccinated people will be out and about. The uh, lockdown will lose its integrity and you could really get a very significant surge. This is going too early, even though it is vaccinated people, because unvaccinated people will relax as well. Even though they don't intend to, they'll just be a little bit here and there. They'll, they might just not wear the masks quite as much. It'll just feel that the place is more permissive. And when it, you feel it's more permissive, then you will behave in that way whether you're vaccinated or not. And we could well lose the benefits of lockdown. Okay, but just because something is hard to police doesn't mean we shouldn't do it altogether. Like, isn't there a good argument to say this is a this is a real incentive for people to get vaccinated? At the moment, a lot of the feedback we get is that people they want to get vaccinated to protect themselves, protect the people around them. But they're also like, why am I doing this if I'm still going to be stuck inside? Yeah, sure, it is an incentive, and there will be groups in the community, such as the over fifties who will be nearly at 80% at that point, who are at the most risk. But there'll be lower lower immunised groups as well, and we won't necessarily be evenly distributed with disadvantaged communities too. So there are lots of risks of this. There are massive risks at 80% opening up, because what we've got at the moment in New South Wales and Victoria are contact tracing systems that have largely fallen apart with growing backlogs in Victoria and big backlogs in New South Wales. 
And that's a core element of control here to prevent a very rapid surge. So this is high risk. For better or worse, it is going to become, uh, the other states and territories are going to be watching very closely to see how it plays out to figure out whether it's an approach that will work for them. What sort of measuring sticks should the other states and territories be looking at to see whether this is successful or not? Everybody's going to be looking at decoupling between the rise, the surge that you're going to get in cases, the death rate, ICU and people going into hospital. This is going to be relaxed at just the time when New South Wales hospitals are going to be at their most stretched so you, you could have a double whammy hitting here. You've got to think about our hospital capacity as well. Yes, you want incentives for people to get doubly immunised. The problem is 70% is just not enough of the community if the virus gets out there in higher numbers. And it's quite likely to because you, once you relax it a little bit, it's going to relax for people who are unvaccinated as well. So it's really going to be about whether or not we've vaccinated enough of the people at highest risk that hospitalizations can come right down and doesn't have a big impact. And that's what everybody's going to be looking at closely. And of course, if you're giving special considerations to people who are vaccinated, there needs to be a way of reliably showing whether they are or not. Vaccine passports have been floated as a way of doing this, but they have potential issues, at least the way they're looking at being done in Australia. And our colleague, uh, technology reporter James Pertill, has been looking into that. Hi, James. Hello, Tegan. So you've said you've you've discovered in your reporting that there's actually quite a lot of flaws in the tech side of things when it comes to these vaccine passports that the government's planning to use. Yeah, there's there's a bunch. Um, so we're talking about two versions of the one certificate. There's the PDF one that you can download from the MyGov portal, and that's one that you can print out. And then there's the um, certificate within the Medicare app itself, and that's a digital certificate. Both of those can be forged. The PDF you can forged by using uh, Microsoft Paint or basics, basic graphic editing software. I'm glad, I'm glad you're giving us a tutorial on this, James. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I can talk you through it if you need, Norman. And then, yeah, the, the, the digital certificate takes about 10 minutes using free software. It's a bit harder, but yeah, the, the both can still be forged relatively easily. So what's the answer? Like, is it an easy fix? There are small fixes fixes you can do to patch up some of these vulnerabilities, and that would involve updating the Medicare app. But there would still be a central problem, which is there's no way of verifying the authenticity of these certificates. There's no secure way. Right now, they're relying essentially on the same technology as your digital driver's license, which is like an animated background and, you know, a timestamp, things like that. These can all be forged. What other countries have been doing, particularly the EU, they have a digital signature that's within a QR code on the certificate itself. Essentially, the health authority that's issuing the um, vaccine, when you're going to get vaccinated, they, they will make a statement saying something like, James Pertil got his second shot of Pfizer on the 8th of September. And that statement is then encrypted in a special way that can then be verified by uh, the public, but it can only be, the digital signature itself can only be issued by the health authority. So you've got a signature that only the health authority can make, but anyone can read. So anyone who owns a restaurant or a bar or, um, you know, a a country um, that um, is scanning QR codes at the border, they can all check that this is a verified document. And that's impossible to forge. That that digital signature is impossible to forge. If it's so good and it works so well, why isn't Australia doing it? Well, in, in fact, we are, but we're only doing it for international travel. So 
This week, uh, the Prime Minister announced international vaccine passports for October, and they will be compatible with the EU. They'll have a QR code. It will be the same technology, but that's only for international travel. The plan seems to be to continue relying on the current vaccination certificates, although the states themselves may be issuing their own or they may be issuing um, sort of variations on those federal certificates. For example, Service New South Wales has announced that you'll be able to put the federal vaccination certificate within the Service New South Wales app, which will be handy, but I'm not sure it'll be any safer, any less easy to forge. What evidence is there that this fraud problem is a problem? Well, um, security researchers have noticed an exponential growth on this Telegram and other encrypted messaging platforms, the, the groups there that trade in fake passports. I've, I've gone on there and had a look. You know, there's people advertising fake vaccine passports for about $200 US. Why are you shopping for fake vaccine passports, James? You should just be getting, you should just be getting your, your jab. I'm just looking, Tegan. I'm actually vaccinated, so I have a passport. Thank you. Okay. And and there's there's lots of reports of um, fake vaccine passports being seized. The US is still relying on paper um, vaccine passports, so they're very easy to forge. Europe actually had this problem, and that's why they brought in the QR code system from July 1st. So it's not a new thing, um, and it is solvable. So either it's going to be on our phone, on a chip on our passport, or it's going to be a piece of paper that we carry around with us with a QR code but one way or the other, by the end of the year, there's going to be something. Yeah, exactly. It could be, yeah, it could be a chip. It could be just um, yeah, a QR code on your phone or, or a piece of paper. It's actually not very complicated. It can, it can be done quite simply. And the European technology is open source. It's simply about organi- organizing and creating that infrastructure to, to allow it. You've got to create a system of public and private cryptographic, cryptographic keys. And that, that, that could take... A few months, but um, it's, it's it's very possible. And your confidence that we could actually do that because we seem to overcomplicate some technologies that could be quite straightforward. I'm worried about that. Everyone I spoke to, uh, all the security researchers and you know members of the tech community, they they just reminded of COVID safe all over again. That was uh, a tech fail. They're worried that we're going down the same path, and essentially we'll be behind the rest of the world trying to catch up six to 12 months from now. Let's hope not. James, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Well, that was uh, really interesting. And we never got to Quick Fire Friday. So maybe next Friday we'll get to Quick Fire Friday. You keep promising, Norman, and we hardly ever deliver on Quick Fire Friday. Maybe we should stop talking about it. No, let's do it. If you want to ask a question for Quick Fire Friday or any other day, go to our website, abc.net.au slash coronacast and ask your question. And we'll see you on Monday. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>